I've really missed you guys. So I feel like I've been away for several weeks. It's so good to be back. Love you all. Lord, thank you you're here with us just now. Thank you you love every single person in this room with a fatherly love. And I pray, God, as we take time to dig into a great truth today, I pray you would literally reveal yourself, that people would tangibly experience your love and presence, and you would do a work in our souls that only you could do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Quite a lot of echo here. Thanks, guys. Well, everything changed for me when I was adopted. Everything changed. You know, way back in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament culture, the, I, the concept of adoption didn't exist. Because in the Jewish Hebraic family units, if you happened to be orphans, your family just took you on. An uncle took you on or an aunt took you on, and that's just how it worked in the Hebraic culture. For example, Mordecai took on Esther, his young, young cousin, and became a father to her, just because that's how the Jewish family operated, to the extent that there is no Jewish laws referring to adoption, not in the Old Testament and not in any historic manuscripts. So God wanted to communicate a truth to us, and what he did is he got a man called Paul who was a Roman citizen, and God wanted to communicate to us a truth that actually we can be adopted by God. So he took a man called Paul, a Roman citizen, and he got us to tell us this truth and reveal something to us that we couldn't have understood had it not been for a Roman citizen. Because in the Roman culture, unlike the Hebraic culture, adoption was the norm. So you had a couple who couldn't have children. And this uh, adoptive potential father would approach someone maybe who lived in their land on their estate and they would approach a slave family. And the adoptive father would speak to the slave father and ask to adopt his child. Then they would go through a legal ceremony where the adoptive father would pay a, a price that was set to purchase the child. There would be witnesses witnessing the ceremony, and after that ceremony, that child was a new child's all previous debts relating to being under a slave father were now cancelled. He was no longer under the authority of a slave father, and he was now fully under the authority of the adoptive father. He was literally a new person. And the Apostle Paul takes this concept, and he brings it into our understanding of how God interacts with us. I believe that all human beings are orphans. We're orphans not because somehow our dad abandoned us, as is so often the case in this day and age. We're not orphans because our dad abandoned us. We're orphans because we abandoned God. That's what the story of the prodigal son's about. We ran from our father. We wanted our independence. And that's the story of history. Right back in Genesis, we see humankind rebelling against God, wanting our independence, And as a result of this, we became orphans, and we became slaves. We gave ourselves over to sin, and without realizing it and giving ourselves over to our own cravings and desires, we were unwittingly giving ourselves over to slavery to Satan himself. But God, being this incredible father, as pictures in the prodigal son, the father who pursued his sons, he didn't give up on us. And 2,000 years ago, the belief we have, the conviction we hold to, the thing that has changed and transformed our life and can transform your life is that God took the initiative, that God took on flesh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, in the flesh, walked this earth, died in our place as our substitute, prayed the ransom that needed to be paid, took the penalty, took all the debts upon himself that were in our lives, died, took the punishment we deserved, and he ransomed us, and he resurrected on the third day, and he has now made it possible for us to move from a place where we move from one dominion under the dominion of Satan and darkness, transferred under the dominion of God. We move from being orphans, alienated from God, to being those who have been accepted by God with no debt outstanding from our previous life. 
all penalties paid, all debts and outstanding fines removed, literally a new life, with full inheritance right in the Roman uh, adoption laws. If you were adopted into the Roman family, you had the same rights as if you were a natural child. You were fully an heir of your father, and we become heirs and joint heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is the incredible truth, and maybe tonight, I don't know, maybe tonight you're in that place where you haven't yet connected with God. There's a story of a, a young orphaned child who was growing up with his, grandfa- with, with his grandfather uh, in a, in a, in a several-story flat, and there was a fire one particular evening, and and the, the grandfather tried to do everything he could to get to the son who was upstairs, who was crying out for help. <clears throat> but the, in the flames, the grandfather was consumed and perished. But the son was still crying out and crying out. And eventually, a man who was passing heard the cries, courageously climbed the cast iron drain pipe. In doing so, marred and burned his own hands. But climbed the cast iron drain pipe. The child climbed aboard his shoulders, and he, he rescued the child. A few weeks later, there was a hearing in the local court to see who would get custody of the child. And there was the town mayor saying why he should have custody. And there was a very wealthy businessman. And there was one of the neighbors. But then in walks to the courtroom, this man who brings out his hands and reveals the scars on his hands. And the child instantly seeing the man ran and threw himself around the father, around this man. And the court went silent. And the other men who claimed to be, want to be the fathers left and it was the scars on the hands that demonstrated that he was the one to have him. And this is what Jesus Christ did for you. He literally came and ransomed you. He rescued you. He took the risk for you. He took the initiative. And God ransomed you from one predicament into an entirely different environment. You are, if you're a believer, you are adopted. And if you're not a believer, please come to him tonight. Let him have full sway in your life. Don't live another day away from God. So I want to take us on a little bit of a journey in the New Testament. There are four times in the New Testament this concept of adoption refers to you personally. And I want to take you on a journey looking at each of those four times and just letting the Bible just speak and give it its implications to us and let it impact your hearts, let it give you an understanding and a grasp of exactly how the Father wants to interact with you. The first one we find in Galatians 4, and I'm going to call this a slave's adoption. It says in Galatians 4, verses 1 to 11, when, time, when the time, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit cries out, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, he has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slave to those things which were nature, but were not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So here you see the same picture. We see slaves being ransomed and becoming sons. Same picture. That we, before we knew God, we were slaves to Satan, sin, and death. Jesus ransomed us on the cross, and now we become sons. And it's interesting what it says that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's a bummer if you're a girl, isn't it? Uh, so some of you are sitting there thinking, but what about us girls? What about daughtership? Now, just to be clear what's going on here, in that age, in that stage, in that, that era, sons had full rights of inheritance, whereas daughters didn't. So it's very interesting that theologically, whether you're a man or a woman, you're considered a full heir. That's why sonship applies to men and women. So that's good news. It's not a chauvinistic point. It's a, it's a positive, it's a pro-woman point. You have, all of us, men and women, have full rights and are considered the rights of sons even though you're sons and daughters, all right? You. Why adoption? Why, why that analogy? Because <clears throat> we've got other analogies in the Bible. For example, John 3 says, 
You come to God, you get born again. Or the new birth analogy, or come alive in Christ. What, what's wrong with those analogies? Why add another layer, another analogy, onto an existing analogy of just being born again? Because that's a great analogy. I mean, that speaks of the power of the change. That speaks of how God, when he comes into your life, you literally become a new person, right? Born again, it's a strong analogy. So why in another analogy on top of an already good analogy? And here's what I think. I think, first of all, it implies that you're not just born again, powerfully changed, but it's also legal. I think there's there's that bit. I think God wants you to get that. It's legal. It's done and dusted. It's legally done by a legal and a holy and a great God. He's done this for you. It's settled in the courts of heaven. He wants you to know that. But here's the other bit. And this is the bit that got me when I was thinking about this and, and considering these verses. You know, when you adopt, you take on kids with baggage. And I think what God wants you to know is that the Heavenly Father takes on kids with baggage. That's the point. Now, I know that doesn't relate to any of you guys because none of you have baggage. But it relates to me. I think the Heavenly Father wants you to know that He takes on us with our baggage, with our stuff, that stuff we ache over and hate and beat ourselves up over. I think the Father wants you to know He takes you on fully knowing He's taking on kids with baggage. That's why I think he uses this analogy. Paul in these verses says, you know, you were slaves, you were ransomed. Why would you want to go back to slavery again? Why would he make that point? Here's why I think he'd make that point, because I, I think what we do, we have a propensity towards going back to being slaves. We come to God, oh yeah, God accepts me, and then now we've come to God, we end up getting religious and think we've got to earn it. It's crazy. You know you've become that because your prayers didn't get answered this week, so you think, oh, what have I done wrong that my prayers didn't get answered? You're acting like a slave. What are you even asking that question for? What, since, I mean, you, you could ask the flip side, what did I do right that my prayers were answered? Come on, has it got anything to do with your behavior? Is it not everything to do with his behavior on the cross? We have a propensity to end up back in slavery again, and this is the challenge that Paul's bringing. Some of you remember the the, the, the Broadway musical uh, Annie. It was made into a film as well. And it's, it, the story of Annie was that Annie was a, an orphan girl and she, um, and she was in this Brooklyn, New York uh, orphanage for girls. And there was this mistress who looked after the girls in this orphanage and she was barbaric. I mean, she would force them to get up in the middle of the night and scrub the floors and, and she just really treated them really rough. So these girls grew up, and this is all they knew. This is, they grew up in this environment. And then a very wealthy billionaire living in New York City decided he wanted to adopt a child. And he went to the orphanage, and he chose Annie. And then there's this scene in the, in the, in the musical where Annie arrives at this wealthy man's house. And it's, I mean, it's incredible. She's never seen anything like this before. There's staircases and balconies and, you know, floral displays and stained glass windows. It's like a palace. And she's just wide-eyed, and she's just amazing. And the lady who's been assigned to her to look after her says, so what would you like to do first? And she said, well, I could scrub the floors and then I could wash the windows. And you think, come on. And the lady said, I didn't mean that. And that's how we come to God. You know, he brings you into his family and that we act like a slave. And the deal is that, you know what? Some of you are technically, some of you technically are children of God. But in your heart, emotionally, you're an orphan. You're acting like an orphan. You're on a Sunday, you're a child of God. But on a Monday, you act and think like an orphan. You know, so some of you, you're, you're living like slaves rather than living like sons. And God wants you to know fully that he has adopted you. And he never wants you to return to slavery. He wants you to fully embrace the adoption that's become yours Right, so let's go now to Romans 8. Romans 8 is a phenomenal, and this is, I want to call this the cry of the adopted. <clears throat> Romans 8 is a phenomenal chapter in the Bible, incredible. I mean, some people have described the book of Romans as uh, the Himalayas of the Bible. In fact, Romans 8, Romans have described as the Himalayas of the Bible. Romans 8, you would say then, is Mount Everest. Because I mean, it's just, wow. And I, I would say, 
Romans 8 uh, verses 15 to 17 is the peak of Mount Everest, right here. So we're going to read the peak of Mount Everest. This is amazing. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. So if you feel you're moving into legalism and slavery, that is not Holy Spirit led. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we were children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You know, an adopted child doesn't get their security by going to their parents and saying, can you please show me my legal certificates? I'd like to see it, please as if that will give them emotional security. Now, that is the basis of the security, but that's not where they get their emotional security from. Now, we have a basis for our security. It's a legal basis. It's called the cross. When you understand that when Jesus died on that cross, it was like that Roman adoption process. The price was being paid in front of witnesses, the price was paid, the deed was done, you are officially now under a different authority. Same deal on the cross. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross is the legal transaction that means ultimately you are 110% secure for all eternity because of Jesus, not because of you, because of Jesus. Amazing. And that technically gives you the security. But you need to understand that the cross was not an end in itself. It was a means to an end. It was an entry into something. It's just like, you know, it's, it's the beginning of a whole new life. You see, the cross was necessary. Why? Because the barrier needed to be removed. Our sins stopped us having that interaction with the Father that God wanted us to have at the beginning. So the cross dealt with the sin and declares us righteous. So that's the entry point. We now have this connection with the Father, but this is the means to the end. The end is relationship with the Father that Jesus' death on the cross was in order to bring us to the Father. And yet many people just stop at the cross. But God wants you to come to the Father and enjoy relationship with God the Father. <clears throat> so just as that adoptive child could find security technically by, let me see my legal documents, okay? That's, but that's not going to do it for them emotionally, maybe. The cross, it ticks the big box. It is your ultimate security. But do you know what? Sometimes it can just be here, and sometimes you need to feel it here. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit makes the security you have in God experiential, not just theoretical. It makes it an experience in your life. The Spirit comes and causes you to have this experience. You see, when an adopted kid cries, Daddy, the parent knows this has been a successful adoption. And in the same way, when you come to the point, not from your head, but from your heart, by the Holy Spirit, and says, Dad, you know that you know that you know that God's your dad, not just because, yes, Jesus died for me, tick, but because the Holy Spirit has made it an experience. You've experienced the embrace of the Father. It's experiential. It says, by him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. It's an interesting word, Abba. It's, it's actually an Aramaic word. Now, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans and Galatians, where he mentions Abba in both Galatians and Romans. They're, they're written in Greek language, in the Greek. So here, all of a sudden, he's introducing an Aramaic word when it's, everything else is written in Greek, but then an Aramaic word in the middle of a Greek language. Why would he do that? Because the Aramaic word Abba was actually exactly the same word that Jesus used in Gethsemane, praying to Abba, Father. He used an Aramaic word in a Greek context. And you understand that it, was a, it, was a, it was a, had a word that carried a loaded meaning of daddy. And so it's a familiarity. I mean, it almost feels awkward calling God, the creator, daddy. 
it seems awkward, those two things going together, and yet that's the experience. God wants you to have the closeness with Him. Not just that, you know, tick, the cross happened, I've technically got the papers, I'm adopted, but actually you are experientially in the experience of the Father's love. You can know it. It can be yours tangibly. It can be yours in reality. The Bible says the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And just like a Roman adoption where you had uh, witnesses around watching the legal transaction taking place, and those witnesses for years to come were able to say, that child is adopted. So too the Holy Spirit is that one testifying to our spirit. So I find that, you know, so my adoption took place in 1991. I was born in 1975. I was born to, I love my mom and dad. They, they raised me well. But in 1991, in a little lane near my house in Glasgow, I prayed. I put my faith in Jesus. A transaction took place. I became, I transferred from under being one, under, one authority to coming under a new authority. And I was saved. So sometimes when I wonder, why am I saved? The Holy Spirit says, let me just testify to you about a couple of things. And he testifies to me about, you know, 2,000 years ago, a deal happened on a cross that the price was paid. I paid it personally. I died in your place. I shed my blood. I made it possible for the ransom to be paid, for you to be saved. And I think, wow. And he said, let me take you to 1991. And he said, I testify. I was there. I, I saw the deal being done. I saw you putting your faith on the Christ on the cross who died and resurrected in your behalf so you could have access to the Father deal is done. He testifies in my spirit. I know it. It's not up here because you can doubt your doubts here, sure. But down here in your knower, you know I'm a child of God. I know it. I sometimes doubt it here, but I know it here. The witness is there. The testimony is there and he makes it real. And a lot of Christians doubt their salvation. And the reason you doubt your salvation, many of you, is because you are not fully allowing the fullness of the spirit to embrace you. Not just that technically you understand things, but the Holy Spirit is making it and experience tangible. You can feel it in your lives. Many of you are living in the courtroom when you were meant to live in the living room. Many of you, are, you're in a courtroom, you're pleading with a judge, but you should be a living, in a living room sitting on the father's knee. That's the experience you'd have. The, the judge thing happened, the legal thing happened, it was dealt with on the cross, and he won't revisit it again. So why do you live in the fullness? It was a means to an end, and the end is a relationship with the father. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's that relationship, it's access to the Father you now have through Jesus. Make the most of it, live in it, enjoy it. John Wesley, describing his conversion, he had this experience of coming to faith. Now, John Wesley went on to become a huge influencer, but describing his conversion, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt it. It's an experience. And describing it, he used other words, he said, I exchanged the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. He'd been a very religious man before he met God, ironically. He'd been very busy. In fact, he was even training to be a missionary, and he wasn't even properly saved. And he says, I exchanged the faith of a servant the faith of a son. Now, you know how it went. John Wesley went on to transform Britain in the 18th century. I mean, literally, you read your history book. His secular historians testify to that. He traveled a quarter of a million miles on a horse. Have you ever ridden a horse? <laughs> Seriously, have you ever ridden a horse? Quarter of a million miles on a horse. Oh, the dude needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit for that one. I mean, that's huge. That's you ever in the horse? That's nuts. Preached 46,000 messages up and down the length and breadth of Britain, transformed by the power of God, a, God a, a nation. How? How? What motivated that? What motivated that? He felt his heart strangely warmed. He transferred. He went from having the faith of a slave and a servant to having the faith of a son. <laughs> he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his winds and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed 
by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affection is for me. And oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us all. Then we go to Ephesians 1, and I love this passage. A planned adoption. Listen to this. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Whoa! Check that out! He chose us. Let's read it with me, actually. You can join in. One, two, three. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's loaded. Let's hear it for that Bible verse. Woo! That is amazing. It says, plans, predestines. Look at it. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. Right? The world is full of unplanned pregnancies, but it is not full of unplanned adoptions. Adoptions are seriously planned. God planned your adoption before, according to this, according to before the foundation of the world. Now, for many who are unable to have children, adoption is plan B. But this verse tells me that for God, adoption was not plan B, but adoption was plan A. That God's plan before the creation of the world was that he would adopt you. That's plan A. And that's an amazing thought. It says, I mean, you think about that, you think about the implications of that. It says, he predestined us for adoption through, to sonship through Jesus Christ. So what does that tell you? It tells you that in his total knowledge, in his total knowingness, he anticipated sin. I know, that's big. He anticipated the devil. He anticipated the fall. He, anticip- he anticipated our orphanness. He saw it all coming. And he designs an answer, the cross. And that answer was the mechanism by which adoption could happen for us. That's mind-blowing. But apparently it's because he loved us. It says in Revelation 13, 8, listen, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world, God had a design for the problem he foresaw and his agenda was to adopt you into full heirs and sons of the Father. It was his plan A to adopt you through a very high price of Jesus dying in your place on the cross. That's incredible. And look at the verse says. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For God, it, it wasn't just as a decision. It was his delight Let me read you this awesome Psalm, Psalm 18, verse 19. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Wow. So does God delight in you before or after he rescued you? He rescued me because he delighted in me. He predestined you according to his pleasure and his will. In love, he predestined you for adoption as sons. This is amazing. This is incredible. Ephesians 1, 4 in the New Living Translation says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. God loved you before he created you. In fact, God loved you before he created the world. In fact, before anything ever was, God was. You couldn't 
there would be no such thing as love in this entire universe were it not for the fact that 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. There would be no such thing as love in this universe, and you would have no experience of love were it not for the truth that God is love. You couldn't love, share love, or receive love if it weren't for the fact that God, in whose image we've been created, is love. And therefore, before anything, He loved you. Before you serve, you do, or even you love Him in return. Before any of that, He loved you. So your first purpose in life is not to give, to serve, or even love him. Your first purpose in life is to be loved by him. And then your serving, doing, and loving will come from that. And if it doesn't come from that, it's religious, it's dangerous, and it's living like an orphan slave. But when it comes from that, It's like an abundant tree with fruit all over it that will benefit thousands of people. When it comes from that, it's awesome. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You were created in the first place not to do something. You were created in the first place to receive something. That's the first purpose of your life. And then from that, everything else comes. There's a really cool story in Columbia University of a lad who went there and he arrived on campus and all he wanted to do was play football. And the coach there, he he had this trial with the team and the coach saw his skills and he really didn't didn't reach the bar. (coughs) But he also saw the kid's attitude and he saw this incredibly positive kid. He saw this incredible attitude and he thought, you know what, I don't really want you playing that often to be honest but I really want you on the team because I think your attitude's going to... He didn't tell the kid this, but he figured this kid's attitude's going to really benefit the team. He wants him on the bench so the other kids get enthused by this kid's attitude. And over the months, he got to know this kid, and the kid really wasn't that good at football, but he loved the kid, and he thought the kid was great, and he thought the attitude was great. And one of the things that really struck him is sometimes his dad came to visit him on campus, and he would be seen with his dad walking arm in arm around campus. And he thought, wow, this is an incredible affection between father and son and son and father. Months passed, and the news came, and it was a tragic news of the father's death. And because the family knew that the coach was close to the son and had a a care for the son, it was the coach's responsibility to break the news to the son. And he told the son about the father's death. And the son was gutted, and he returned home for the funeral. Then after the funeral had happened, he came back, and the coach sat him down and asked him how he was. And he said, listen, if there's anything I can do for you, Is there anything I can do to help you? And the lad said, I would really like to play in the next game. Now, he hadn't really been letting him play. And the next game was the most important game of the season. I mean, this is the one that hinged, this is the one that would decide what happens. I thought, no. He said, yeah, okay, I'll do that for you. And he figured, I'll let him on for a bit and I'll pull him off and he'll be on the bench for most of the game, but he'll be on for a little bit. So So the kids the game comes around and the kid gets on the field and he plays amazingly. I mean, he gets some tackles in and he, I mean, honestly, some of his move, some of his tackling and tactics and passing actually set up some of the goals that caused them to win the match. And he was named player of the match. The guy didn't pull him off the field. He just played so amazingly. He was blown away, absolutely blown away. And he sat the kid down afterwards and said, son, what got into you? That was incredible. I've never seen you play like that before. And he said, let me tell you, it's a secret that me and my dad had that no one else knew. But you see, my dad was blind. And that's why I walked around campus with him. And this was the first time my dad ever saw me play. Now you need to understand that when you understand that you are loved before you do anything, that you are accepted unconditionally by an incredible heavenly father, then you're going to go further than any legalistic or religious drive that the world may impose on you. Knowing the Father's love, knowing His embrace, knowing His smile is going to stir and motivate you. 
Now we come to Romans 8, a complete adoption. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings in this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's saying it's tough just now, but it's going to be so good. For the anxious longing of all of the creation wait eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. <coughs> it's interesting verses here. Paul says, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, the, in the literal translation of the Greek, it would be, it's on the tips of its toes. It's like those meerkats. You know, it's on the tips of its toes. Creation's on the tips of the toes. You know, the, the big drama of the, the whole of, of history is the revealing of the sons of God. It's the, it's the great thing that creation is an eagerness. The trees are more excited about you coming to know God than anything else, anything else on this planet. This is, this is exciting. So the, and Paul says that, um, that for creation was subjected to futility. And he said in another place, it was slavery, from, it, we set free from its slavery to corruption. Now, if you've studied physics, you would call that the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. It's everything goes from a state of perfection to decay. Everything in this world, that's it. It goes to decay. That's what happens. It's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's slavery to corruption. It's, it's tendency to futility. That's what happened in the world since the beginning of time when God created the perfect world. We fell, and we were what it was all about. Then everything under our care fell. And since then, everything's been to futility and state of decay. So obviously, our fall is the fall of the whole world. And our rise will be a new heavens and a new earth. That's what the Bible teaches. It's interesting. <clears throat> a story about in the 1904 revivals in Wales, it's, uh, where thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in a very short space of time became believers. And incidentally, just now, Richard Taylor, who's going to be with you, you guys in a couple of Sunday evenings here, is going to be great. Bring all your friends let Leith know, let's see this place packed. Richard's amazing, and he, he's seeing, just now they've had three weeks of nightly meetings. They've seen some incredible things. One guy who's been paralyzed for 10 years walked for the first time, out of the wheelchair, carrying his wheelchair, completely healed. There's a confirmed case of leukemia being healed as well. Lots of miracles and healings, and every, they've had 7,000 visits in the last three weeks to the services. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit taking place. You would call it revival. So that's really cool. And Richard's really funny. And you're going to have a great time. So don't want to miss him. But in 1904, there was the Welsh Revival. Thousands were coming to faith. And you know, one of the strange byproducts of the Welsh Revival was the pit ponies. The pit ponies who were so used and abused by the gruff miners. All of a sudden, these gruff miners were becoming believers, coming soft and tender-hearted. And, and, you know, and, and suddenly started caring for these pit ponies. Messed with their heads, you know. All paranoid and they were fine. And they liked that. I don't know how pit ponies show that, but I don't even know why I said that. But anyway, so creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, let me give you a curveball one. If you've ever seen the Transformations video, this is documented in the Transformation video, which has looked at revivals around the world. In the year 2000, there was a revival in Fiji, where again, en masse, the population started turning back to God in their tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people coming to faith. Incredible. Now, what happened in Fiji? For 40 to 50 years, two particular rivers which were heavily polluted, and scientists and researchers had been trying to do everything they could to depollute these rivers because there was hardly any fish there. It was just polluted scum water. And almost overnight, as the population turned back to God, there was a cleansing of the rivers, and um, they started being repopulated with fish. So it's documented in the transformation video. The creation eagerly longs for the revealing of the sons of God. 
Your task is to make Leith Docks drinking water. <laughs> all right? So no more peeing in it. Right, just, just pray, all right? So I shouldn't have said that. Okay. And it says, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, this is the done deal. I mean, we're already adopted because of faith in Jesus. We've become God's. He's Abba, Dad. You ever prayed, Dad? You feel like a bit awkward about it? But that's biblical. And that's how close you can be and are. Amazing. But our full adoption will be when not only our spirits are saved, but we have resurrected bodies and you all look like me. It's going to be so cool. God will resurrect you, give you a resurrected body. You'll, you'll serve a resurrected Lord on a resurrected earth, a new heaven and a new earth. That's what the Bible teaches. It's true and it's so real. It seems so unreal tonight, but it's so real. Now, here's the thing. The adoption, you as an adopted child have absolute rights. The adopted child into the Roman family had absolute rights as if they were a natural child, full heirs. It says in... Um, Romans 8, 17, now we are the children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What he's getting, you're getting. No distinction, no favoritism. I remember my mate that I grew up with, I remember he was fostered and, you know, he had a real rough time. He had a real rough time because of the emotion of it, because the natural son in the foster family, he just knew that the parents were favoring him. And whether that was his subjectivity or not, I don't know. But that's what he felt, and it gave him pain. And you know, that's not how it's going to be with us. That Jesus Christ, we've become co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because we're in him. What he gets, we get because we're in him. We are adopted into his family, and what he gets, you get. So he got a resurrected body you're going to get a resurrected body. And there's going to be no pain and no fatigue and no aging process and no more tears and no more death. There's no undertakers in heaven. There's no cemeteries in this city. God's going to wipe every tear and you're going to have an incredible inheritance. Incredible inheritance. Love this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, 22-23. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So you're boasting about your house. You're boasting about your, your job and your financial status. You're boasting about these things. You own the universe, and you're boasting about your house. <laughs> Let's get above our small lives. All things are ours, and we are Christ's and Christ is God's. When you became his, you became an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. What a joy and what a privilege. So you have a new father. You're no longer under the authority of the old father, the old slave master. You're now under the authority of God. And you have a new family. Look around you. This is as good as it gets. <coughs> you have a new family. We are brothers and sisters and co-heirs with Christ. And you have a new freedom. You're no longer slaves. You have been ransomed from slavery. Never return to religious slavery again. Never think you have to earn a thing. It's offensive to him. Live in that grace and that will change you. You're not, you're not one of sin because love that will change you more than anything else. Live in that freedom, and you have a new future. You have a great inheritance. You're an heir of God. Okay, let's pray. So, Father, we say thank you that you're here right now. Father, I'm asking that we know technically you're here, but I'm asking in Jesus' name that you will make your presence tangible and experiential for us right now. Come, Holy Spirit, make, you, make so real the Father's love. Make so real the Father's embrace. Make tangible your presence in this room right now.
Come, Spirit of God, do that. Okay, now, just each one of you in his presence, take a moment to pray back your response. Talk to the Father. Maybe one or two of the verses have just stood out and spoken to you. So now he responds to those verses. Respond to what God is saying to you. You pray back. You talk to him just now. Go for it. he predestined you for adoption as sons according to his pleasure and will he rescued me because he delighted in me you're a believer and you've never called him daddy just in his presence just call him daddy just now that's biblical and in fact the holy spirit will enable you thank you daddy thank you dad thank you papa Dad, I know you're able to heal every wound in this room. And some have been in the courtroom pleading with you every day like you're a judge and not knowing that that was done. And the verdict was passed and your son took the penalty and we can now be in the living room with our dad. And I pray now, God, we will not anymore deny ourselves the joy of being loved and loving you anymore because of the lies we've believed. I pray, God, for those, God, who this message is hard for 101 reasons. I pray the truth of this message, God, for those who have not known their dads or who have been distant from their dads. for other reasons God with his pain in this room I pray that you Abba Father Daddy God would be our healer in Jesus name that your love God would restore us and change us by your power come Spirit of God pour out that love of God in people's hearts I pray make it experiential make it real opportunity tonight if you don't know him if you're an orphan still you haven't got a father called God well come on you've heard tonight how he loves you and you're wondering you're chosen well you have an opportunity just now to come to him and you will experience his embrace he chooses you come to him tonight if that's you if you've never committed you yielded your life to him and come under his authority as your heavenly father and known his adoption in your life and this is your moment and very simple just open your heart to him commit yourself to him <coughs> experience his love and accept Jesus' death and resurrection so that's you just pray this prayer under your breath after me just now pray dear God Thank you for your incredible, huge love for me. Thank you, Father, you went to extreme measures to rescue me. Jesus, I believe your death on that cross was for me. Your resurrection 
means you're alive right now. I believe you paid the price. I believe you took my place. You cleared my debt. You made it possible for me to be forgiven and have a new life. So tonight I receive that. I thank you for that. And I put my faith in you, Jesus. And tonight, Father, I come under your authority. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Accept me tonight. I give my life to you. If you prayed that prayer, if you're in the cafe or in the main floor here, just put your hand up if you prayed that prayer, if you made that decision, you prayed that simple prayer. God heard you and he embraces you and accepts you. So anyone like that this evening, that's been your prayer, that's been your saying, God, yes, I give my life and my heart to you. Is there anyone like that tonight? worship we're going to at the end we're going to take time as well to pray we're going to take time to pray over people and ask God to maybe maybe tonight you need an experience of the Holy Spirit you know nothing you can do can help you believe this anymore or imagine it anymore but you just need him to break in in your life he is only too willing he is only too longing to bring you close and give you that experience so Maybe tonight you need that. And in fact, even as we're worshiping, I think the Holy Spirit's going to touch lives. Open your heart to him. Let him make this tangible and real for you tonight. Because that's really what's going to set you free. And tonight, maybe you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that for you. Maybe you have. Maybe you need more of the Spirit, a refilling. That's cool. He can do that for you. Maybe there's other issues related to what we've talked about, that God wants to heal some wounds. That's cool. He can do that. Let's stand before our Father.